Welcome everyone to another episode of Setting the Scene. My name is Michael and I'm the host of the podcast. Today we're on the 25th overall episode and the fifth episode in our series, Dual Degrees in Medicine. We're joined by a physician scientist, Dr. Kodis, um, who's had quite a lot to do in the field. She's now um, completely in practice and she's going to be telling us about the MD-PhD route. We've had a few past episodes about this, and we're going to be expanding about more of it today. But before we dive in, Dr. Kodis, do you want to give yourself a quick introduction? Hi. Uh, hi, Michael. It's um, nice to meet all of you virtually, and I'm really glad to be able to be here and tell you a little bit about myself and my path, and um, hopefully uh, spark your interest in um, a dual degree uh, career. So I um, went to Yale for my undergrad, stayed at Yale for my MD-PhD, where um, I did my PhD with Ruslan Mezitov in immunobiology. And then um, I went to um, residency in internal medicine and fast-tracked through residency at Columbia Presbyterian in New York. And then um, following that, I came to UCSF for pulmonary and critical care fellowship and then stayed here to do a postdoctoral fellowship with Rich Loxley, also in immunobiology. And um, now I'm making my own way. That sounds great. What a journey. But we often like to start out these episodes with just talking about the spark that got you here. Why do you be want to become a, or why are you right now, a physician scientist? What was the motivation behind it in the beginning? Yeah, to be um, quite honest, my interest in science and medicine developed pretty independently of one another. So I think... Um, you know, honestly, my interest in science was quite academic, you know, just the desire to know how things work. I was, you know, one of those kids who really liked puzzles and Legos. Like I just liked to understand um, how things went together and how things worked. And my interest in medicine developed in um, a totally different way. It was really more of a humanitarian calling um, that grew out of this sort of emotional distress that I felt when I was hearing about how society has histor historically treated um, people who suffer with disease. And I hadn't really envisioned a way that those two interests, like one being like a truly like academic, sort of just like my science dork self um, interest and, and this like humanitarian sort of calling this like emotionally driven calling would um, unite. I hadn't envisioned any way for that. And I actually had a, just a really fantastic mentor um, in college who suggested the possibility to me for the first time of combining those two interests, which was, um, you know, a totally new idea to me. And initially I kind of did it because I was running from the, the, the prospect of having to choose between these two paths, like science and medicine. And I thought, oh, this is a way I can do both and avoid this sort of hard choice. But you know, more and more as I'm doing it, I see that they're sort of, they've started to merge um, in ways that I hadn't initially anticipated and which I'm really um, learning to appreciate now. Yeah, we just heard on our last episode actually about also dual degrees, but it was a different dual degree, um, MD and the master's combination, how a lot of things are intersecting and the need for students with different and diverse interests that fit the dual degree uh, pursuit are really rising, that's expanding. So the, the prevalence of that, I think many more people are getting to notice. Absolutely. Now talking about the benefits behind why exactly, you mentioned the spark, you mentioned the motivation, and that does speak um, onto the benefits that you'd have. You mentioned it there that it 
allows you to have an easier time choosing between what exactly you do with your career. Outside of that, do you have anything to add about the benefits? Yeah, I'd say that the the benefits and also the downsides really vary between individuals. And I really can't overemphasize how important it is to make the decision on a totally individual experience and how, how individual the experience of the whole training progression can really be. So I'll just tell you something that is like, you know, my, the, the benefits that I personally have experienced, but, um, you know, with the caveat that that it might be really different for each of you who are thinking about going through this trajectory. So um, I think one of the first things is that um, I think that my scientific training brings a different perspective to the way that I practice medicine, particularly evidence-based medicine. And so the scientific process has kind of allowed me to evaluate a little bit better like when the evidence for a particular treatment, for instance, is like irrefutable or when the evidence is weak and how to integrate my own logical approach to understanding physiology when there's a total paucity of evidence. Um, and I find that my scientific training also makes me somewhat more comfortable with understanding probabilities and understanding uncertainty. And um, that's such an intrinsic part of the practice of medicine, the uncertainty. Um, and that's really a strength, I think, for me during times that are particularly uncertain or, um, you know, where there's a shaky scientific understanding. So one of the key examples of that was during the recent COVID pandemic. Um, you know, I'm in, trained as an intensivist and a pulmonologist. And so, um, I felt like really driven to participate as much as possible in caring for patients um, through like the most uh, sort of frightening portions of the pandemic where we really didn't know what this disease was and what it entailed. And what we did know was that this was um, another way that a disease could create a syndrome called ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is essentially a clinical syndrome that can be caused by viral pneumonias or bacterial pneumonias or aspirations or all kinds of things. And basically just represents like an inflammatory injury that's happening in a sort of disseminated and bilateral way in the lungs and causing difficulty in oxygenation. And what we have known about it was um, based on, you know, longitudinal clinical trials. We know that, for example, there's a positive evidence to suggest that paralyzing patients is actually helpful for their mortality. There is evidence to suggest that proning patients is helpful for mortality. There is evidence to suggest that being careful about the fluid balance for these patients may be helpful for mortality. And there were all these other things that people wanted to do. You know, they thought about anticoagulating patients because anecdotally they were seeing that patients were having issues with clotting or they wanted to try to give different therapeutics that sort of made sense. And it was really important for me as a physician to dissect, well, what are the things that we know? We know that this is ARDS. We know these things from the past, from our evidence-based practice of what is helpful and not helpful for ARDS. And not to kind of like make it up just by getting frightened by the fact that this was a new disease and do things that could potentially cause harm to the patients. So I think that was a way in which sort of my scientific brain and my ability to sort of dissect these different levels of evidence was pretty helpful. 
And I also think that it's really um, helpful, especially this issue of uncertainty in managing my own emotions and also in guiding patients and their families through really difficult situations where there is so much uncertainty. And especially, I mean, I, I, I can't even say especially because I don't work in other fields, but in the ICU, there is so much uncertainty. You know, everybody is like sort of right on the edge of death and of um, potentially really being uh, debilitated in a way that they would have never imagined. And it's, it's, that's a lot to handle, but, you know, scientific brain does help with that. I'd also say that, um, medicine offers a lot, um, sort of emotionally and intellectually that I can't get from science. So the pace of science can be really slow for the person who's actually doing the science, right? Science is a field moves fast, but then there are so many failures and so few successes when you're actually the one at the bench, you're actually the one doing the experiments. Um, and that progress, you know, is measured in months or years. And by comparison, medicine can be really fast, right? In a single interaction with a patient, even if it doesn't lead to a definitive diagnosis or a cure or something, you can have a tremendous um, emotional impact on that patient or um, on their decision-making. And something's always like happening with patients, right? Sometimes they're improving, sometimes they're worsening, but things are always moving. And that really contrasts with these periods in science where I have felt personally, like my scientific um, projects were stagnant and it's helped kind of drive me forward through those periods. Um, there's so much more. Um, I think medicine offers a really unparalleled privilege um, of being able to participate in patients um, and families' most intimate moments. You know, they just trust us. They trust us with their physical selves. They trust us with their most difficult decisions. They tell us secrets that they've never told anybody else, right? The intensity of that human interaction is a part, um, an intrinsic part of medicine, and it's something that you can't get as a scientist. Um, and then on the other hand, science, I mean, medicine is just totally full of unanswered questions, right? And there's no avenue for really answering the questions. Like you have this patient and what with sepsis and why is it that their physiology behaves so differently from this patient with sepsis in terms of the duration or the amount of pressure that they're needing or whatever it is. And why does this patient who has ARDS, who has diffuse infiltrates on both sides of their chest, have a different appearing physiology from this patient who has dense consolidations that are scattered, right? Um, medicine doesn't offer a route to answer those questions, but science does. And so it's a, it's a way to sort of scratch the intellectual curiosity about, um, about biology and, and how other it works. And and then also, I think some sort of logistical things, right? Science gives me a break from clinical medicine, which can be really exhausting and really emotionally draining, right? In the ICU, 50% of my patients die. And that's a lot, you know, to do that week after week. I don't think I could. Um, and science is just sort of like a fantasy land that I get to escape to in a, in a weird way. And so um, I think that there are, you know, many things I've seen as benefits. And I think that despite all of that, I have to really caution people that the, the track is difficult and it's really, really long. And um, it's really hard to be a trainee still when all of your classmates have become attendings, right? Um, a while ago. And it's, it's tough to feel like you're stagnant when everybody else is moving forward. So 
um, it's a really difficult decision and not to be taken lightly, even though it has like this really tremendous benefit to be able to inform the way you ask scientific questions on the one hand from medicine and be able to give you some sort of like um, emotional and, and human experiences that you can't experience through science. Definitely a lot to be said there. And I loved how you mentioned the, the uncertainty behind what you do as a, as a clinician scientist. That's something that you'll see and, and you'll work on. Um, but not many people realize how, like just face value when you look at some practice or whatever that physician might be experiencing burnout from, a lot of times people think it's the workload. To your point, uncertainty is just another added load on that emotional um, tension. Yeah, I, don't think that, I don't think it's something that many students notice. Um, even being a student, you can have a lot of uncertainty. It might not be lives on the line, but it definitely is some uncertainty, maybe just your career on the line uh, with standardized exams, whatever it might be. You mentioned being on the bench. Uh, I wanted to reflect on that point because many students have a conception that being an MD-PhD is specifically around bench work, basic science work. Can you talk a little more about if or if not that's true, what you're exactly limited to, or if you're limited at all with what you study or what you research, I should say, as an MD-PhD? No, I don't think that there really is a limitation. I think, um, you know, this is like kind of anecdotal because I am a bench scientist and, and I've been a bench scientist throughout. I think that, um, it's probably a bit more challenging um, to start as a clinical scientist and move to the bench at a later stage in your career um, because there are all this sort of like technical components. And there's, a, you know, as you get older and older, there's like more of a barrier to try something that's like totally different from anything you've ever done. So if you've never had wet lab experience, I can imagine that it'd be pretty hard to want to launch into that when you're in your like 30s or something. But um, but there's no reason that you need to do a particular kind of science or even stay in one kind of science. I had a number of friends who um, trained in uh, basic wet bench biology in during their PhD or maybe as undergraduates and then ended up doing purely clinical research. Um, some, some people did something that's like translational, did a little bit of like bioinformatic type work. Other people went into, you know, pure clinical research as in trials. Um, and I think you can do all those kinds of things. The key is really to learn how um, to get training in the scientific method and to learn what you need as a trainee, a lifelong learner to support you along your trajectory as you're becoming an independent researcher. So some of that is just about understanding the sort of mentorship structure that you need as a scientist um, in order to uh, facilitate your learning and facilitate your growth and, um, and to help you be the most effective that you can be. You specifically took your MD, your PhD, I should say, in immunobiology and chose your specialty as pulmonary and critical care medicine. Was there a crossover there? Did one kind of carry over to another? Was there any overlap with why you might've chosen those specialties specifically? Yeah, I, I there wasn't a specific reason that I chose those two specialties together, right? I, I 
each of them was an independent interest. So it's just analogous to the way that my interest in science and my interest in medicine developed, you know, when I was a pre-med. Um, immunobiology was just a really fascinating area of science, right? Because it's this sort of mobile response unit that exists in every tissue of our body and um, facilitates the reaction that uh, an adaptive reaction to both foreign and um, and endogenous substances and really gives cues to the rest of the sort of tissue parenchyma for how to behave. It's an amazing system. And the complexity of the system is, you know, I think similar to what drives a lot of people towards neurobiology, for example, right? Just like what a cool interactive network of cells and molecules. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of how I ended up in immunobiology and pulmonary and critical care was like, something I was drawn to purely because that was the place um, where I felt sort of the most excited and motivated and compelled by the medicine that I saw and where I saw in my attendings, the kind of doctor that I wanted to be, you know, like sort of the prototype of what I thought a doctor really should be in terms of their bedside manner and, and just the kind of humans that they were, you know, I just thought those are the humans that I want to be around for the rest of my career. Um, and I think that you know, I've been fortunate that these um, areas do intersect, right? The immune system pretty much intersects with every kind of um, human biology. So it's really easy to um, unite that with any clinical specialty. But, you know, because my brain is sort of exercising a little bit in both areas, like I have a tendency to have united them. And so even though I started as like, oh, I can't choose between science and medicine, naturally, as I'm thinking about the concepts in immunobiology and I'm thinking about the concepts in pulmonary biology, they they find a way to overlap. And aside from your research and work as a physician, you are also an assistant professor at UCF in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care, Sleep Allergy and Sleep Medicine. What was your experience, what has your experience been like teaching medicine as opposed to just practicing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that academia is, first of all, one of the few places that a physician scientist really can be actively a physician and actively a scientist, right? There are certainly roles for physician scientists in, uh, like, pharma companies and clinical trials, but they're not going to be, you know, at the bedside, right? They're going to be, um, they're going to be directing how adverse reactions um, in clinical trials are dealt with and that sort of thing, right? They don't get the experience that I get to have of being the person who's holding my patient's hand at the bedside, right? Who's feeling their, their, um, extremities to see if they're warm or cool and what kind of shock this is, right? Who who calls the families and says, this really devastating thing has happened and let me help lead you through what we should do next, right? That's a different kind of clinical experience. So I would say, first of all, that um, part of choosing to be in academic medicine, I know your question is about the teaching, but part of choosing to be in academic medicine is my is driven by my desire to really be at the bedside and at the bench. And this is like kind of a unique experience. Um, but of course, I have a biased view because this is how this is the setting in which we all kind of grow up, you guys too. And, um, and it's the example that I had set before me. So we should keep in mind that there are a wide variety of opportunities. In terms of the um, experience of teaching, it absolutely impacts the way I practice medicine. I think 
that we're all really stimulated by the intellectual environment that we're steeped in, right? Um, and when somebody else is teaching you something you don't know or brought up a paper that you weren't familiar with or some formula you didn't know, it's really um, stimulating, right? You're constantly learning from other people. So we don't just learn from the things that we read ourselves. We read, we learn from the stimulus of having other people, you know, pique our curiosity on a thing and then make us want to go and um, investigate more about it. And one of my, um, you know, one thing that's really important for me as uh, both a physician and a scientist is in terms of being impactful and being effective is to be, you know, practicing both of those fields according to, you know, the latest information, right? Um, you really have to be keeping up to date. And it's hard to keep up to date. When you're in medicine, you're like, at the end of the day, you're just exhausted. You just want to go home. You want to go to sleep. You don't want to read another clinical trial or whatever, right? And there's something about being around other people who are constantly learning that makes you a constant learner. And I think that's such a critical part about always being at the edge of medicine, understanding the evidence in the best way that you can in order to be able to apply it to the interactions that you have with um, with patients in the clinical world or um, apply it to the bench um, when you're when you're working in science. Yeah, definitely. I like what you said about how, you know, when you're around uh, other learners, you get to also be a constant learner. I think as students, we can definitely um, agree with that. Even from school, when we're around people who are as motivated as we are, we get to really, um, you know, shine that well too. And so between practicing and conducting research, would you say you prefer one over the other or do you just, um, you know, like both of them? Um, you know, I think both have their strengths and both have their like major challenges, right? And I can go through periods in my clinical work where I say like, I'm exhausted and I'm burnt out from this and I don't want to do this anymore. And I can go over to the lab and be like, oh, what a relief to be in the lab. And then I'll go through periods in the lab where it's the same, like, oh, I'm not making any progress with this. Like this is never gonna I result in a paper or this postdoc is never gonna end or this graduate degree is never gonna end or whatever. And like, I should just stop this. Like I could just be a clinician, right? So that it happens to all of us, right? These moments of doubt where we're like, am I on the right track? Because this is kind of miserable right at this particular moment, right? Those moments happen. And my, you know, my benefit is getting to escape from one to another, but I'd say like, I don't like one more than the other. I like them very differently. Um, and, you know, I continue along this trajectory, despite the fact that it's been really difficult. And despite the fact that I've had many doubts at various points, because I still really love taking care of patients. And I also still really love answering and asking scientific questions. Um, so, and then in terms of the balance, I mean, I think that is just like, an ongoing struggle and is kind of a critical aspect of, of the career, right? Um, one of the most important things that I'm still trying to grapple with is that you guys have probably been like excellent, like the best among your peers at the thing that you do for a really long time, right? Most pre-meds are just like exceptional students. They have been exceptional among their peers. They have been the best at a lot of things, right? You might've been the best athlete or you might've been the best at some extracurricular or you might've been the best student in AB bio or whatever it was, right? 
And when you're a physician and a scientist at the same time, you're doing two careers and you're never going to be the best at both of them. Like you cannot be the best scientist if you're also spending a lot of your time doing clinical medicine and you can't be the best clinician if you're not spending 100% of your time doing clinical medicine. So it really takes a reflection about like, what is your realistic vision for what you need to contribute in both realms in order to feel like you're providing value to yourself and to the world. And, um, and the balance isn't about, you can't ever find balance, right? If you're trying to be like a hundred percent, like the most elite in both, um, categories, you just can't be that no person is that superhuman. Um, so that's my struggle with balance, but I'd also say that, you know, this is, um, this is a podcast that we're having about sort of this pre preparation for a career, but like you're more than your career. You are a human too. And especially um, in the world of clinical medicine, I think that there is like a really intense importance to maintaining yourself as a human, right? We're not, we don't do medicine so that we can keep bodies alive. We keep, we do medicine so that people can have lives, lives where they interact with families, lives where they listen to music, lives where they see the outside world, lives where they go to the museum and stare at a piece of artwork, right? Of experience, like a human experience. And how are you going to know what you're defending if you don't ever have those human experiences, right? You need to find a place in your own balance to be a human too. And that's really hard because you also, in addition, having been at the peak of your class or your team or whatever for so long, have also like been on the grind. And you know that this is only the start of like a lot more years of being on the grind. But think really deliberately along your path about like how you're going to set boundaries on, you know, giving your all to your career and still be a human right? Do it mindfully, do it deliberately. And at some point know that you have to, you have to carve out time just for you. Yeah, definitely. I think so many pre-meds tend to overlook that very point of, you know, setting boundaries and realizing that you can pursue things outside of medicine. So that's really important. And lastly, what would you say to students interested in having research as part of their medical career, but are unsure of committing to pursuing an MD, PhD? Yeah, I'd say it's a really, it's a really difficult decision. And I'd also say it's not like a one-way decision. It's not irreversible, right? Like at any point, if you're on a trajectory and it just doesn't feel like the right trajectory anymore, you can stop. Like that means like if you get, you, you know, you get a, a year into your research and you're like, no, this isn't for me. Or you get two years in and you've gotten your master's, but you're not, you know, PhD candidate yet. And you're like, no, nah, this isn't for me. Or you get your PhD and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go to residency and I'm never going to do research again. That's like also fine, right? Like you change as a human and you're allowed to, um, to change your trajectory. And it's a, it's a trap to get sunk in it, like stuck in the sort of fallacy of sunk costs, right? You, I've put so much into it, so I must keep going. You don't necessarily have to, but before all of that, like before even the consideration of like, oh, I'm trapped in this career and I have to keep going, which is not true. Um, it's really valuable to consider it um, as much as possible before you delve into that. And I'd say like, 
get some experience um, doing research as an undergrad. And instead of just like putting your head down and only thinking about the science and the grind of it and trying to get yourself, you know, like a paper as an undergrad or having your own project as an undergrad, like pay attention to the people who you're working with, right? Pay attention to the grad students and the postdocs in that lab. Like, are these people your people? Because you have to spend your life with other scientists if you're gonna be a scientist, right? Do you like the kinds of questions they ask? Do you like the way that they ask questions? Like, are you fascinated by any aspect of this, right? How do you like the structure of their lives? Um, you know, when you see their frustrations or their challenges, do you think that that's something that you want to sign yourself up for, right? Because being in the science is so much more than just like the intellectual curiosity. It's the longevity of this, like for your career. Like, am I this kind of human being? Like, is this the kind of stuff that is going like, to get me up and keep going in the morning? Like when it really sucks and it's really hard, it's at, and it's at the, its worst, is this something I want to do? So get some experience when you're an undergrad. Talk to as many people as you can also who are doing it. And then know that once you get yourself in the track, you can always get off if you need to. It's not permanent. No decision is permanent. You are an ever-changing human being and you can be yourself as a, as a physician scientist for a time and then decide that you're gonna be only a physician or only a scientist or a consultant or a hedge fund manager or whatever, right? You can do whatever. All right, well, I think that's a perfect place to end off today's episode. We really do appreciate all of the insight that you've shared, Dr. Kratos. Um, I really love that point about thinking about the continuity this would be for uh, the semester or the year that you might be doing research, expanding that out onto a lifelong career. Can I do this? Asking questions like you mentioned there. I think that they give a lot of relevance to the actual work you'll see later on. Um, it stays true. So. If you're going to be doing this now and you want to do it later, expect that this is what it's going to be like. I, I really liked how we can envision it still as students. A lot of students think that they're not really going through the actual work that they'll see later on. It's gonna be just as hard, if not harder. Um, so we really do appreciate your insights. For those who are listening in, we thank you for tuning in to another episode of Setting the Scene. This is a unique series we have over dual degrees in medicine, but we have many more over things like exploring startups. We have guest spotlights. Uh, we really have the whole range, all to provide you with the resources and insights, just like you saw today, um, across a lot of different fields. So if you enjoy this episode, I'm sure that you'll enjoy the others, and we do look forward to having you there.